1: Life, if you give your heart and believe what is done for you, you'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. You know, you've heard the old saying before measure twice, cut once. I remember in junior high shop class, we were building projects with wood. We made clocks. We made bookshelves. There was this one guy in shop class. He always made his cuts on the first measurement. He wasn't very careful. You know, you should measure twice before you cut once. It's less likely to waste. But he'd always make his cuts on the first measurement. He wasn't very careful up front with his measuring and his planning. And so his cuts were often wrong, and that wasted time and material. Not only that, but it also slowed the work of everybody else who was working on the same project. If you had a group project of other students together, and here's this one guy, quick-cutting everything, and he'd mess up, he'd have to go back to the drawing board, get new material. He wasted the piece of wood that he had. He had to do it again. He's slowing everybody down. And every time this guy messed up, he embarrassed himself And he felt ashamed because of his lack of effort. His lack of effort was exposed, and it really started to bother him. But that embarrassment there that he basically put on himself, that prompted him to put in a better effort so that his decisions would work, so that whatever he cut would fit in with everybody else's work. And I understand how that guy felt completely because that guy was me. <laughs> hey, that was seventh grade. So, you know, chill. I don't, it was a long time ago. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> well, today's message, I'm going to call it First Kings 6, measure twice, cut once. And so now in First Kings 6, verse 1, where Solomon builds the temple. And it came to pass in the 480th year. After the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month of Ziv, which is the second month that he began to build the house of the Lord. Okay, right away, this verse right here is very special because of all the time stamps that are crammed into it. As it says, 480 years after the exodus from Egypt, that lines up was Solomon's fourth year. So you got these two time events here that we can line together. Solomon's fourth year is king, 480 years after the Exodus. Now, we know from other writings that they, it tells us that Solomon's reign began in 971 B.C. You can also use biblical timestamps like a verse like this to put that at 971 B.C., And so when it says in the fourth year of Solomon's reign, this means he began the building of the temple at about 966 or 967 B.C. Because Saul began to reign in 971, subtract 4, 966, 967, somewhere in that area. And so since the exodus of the Israelites was 480 years prior to this point in history, all you got to do is take 966 B.C., Add 480 years prior to it, and that puts the Exodus at about 1446 B.C. This one verse right here helps us tie in so many other parts of history. It's kind of one of those timestamp hubs that brings a lot of things together. So if you have a digital Bible, you can create a bookmark that's called timestamps or historical markers, whatever works for you, and file First Kings 6 verse 1 into that category, because this verse is one of those great, like I said, it's like a time hub. All these different dots can get connected through 1 Kings 6.1. That brings up a lot of other history, brings a lot of history together, and that helps us calibrate Israel's history across time. This helps to validate God's Word as being true, because God's Word, a lot of people don't believe what God's Word says, but there's a lot of historical accuracy that helps to validate God's Word as being the real deal. So always keep your eyes open for passages like this. They're very handy throughout your Bible study. It will help you calibrate the history of, of men into other places, especially Israel's history. It will help you put it all together. They're very handy to use. So remember 1 Kings 6 and 1 for that, for that purpose. 1 Kings 6 and 2. Now the house which Solomon built for the Lord, its length was 60 cubits, its width 20 and its height, 30 cubits. The vestibule in front of the sanctuary of the house was 20 cubits long across the width of the house, and the width of the vestibule extended 10 cubits from the front of the house. And he made for the house windows with beveled frames. Against the wall of the temple, he built chambers all around, against the walls of the temple, all around the sanctuary and the inner sanctuary. Thus he made side chambers all around it, The lowest chamber was five cubits wide, the middle was six cubits wide, and the third was seven cubits wide. For he made narrow ledges around the outside of the temple so that the support beams would not be fastened into the walls of the temple. And the temple, when it was being built, was built with stone finished at the quarry so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built well that's fascinating but first the measurements a cubit's about a foot and a half long it's about 18 inches which made this whole temple was about 90 feet long 30 feet wide and 45 feet high so it had a a floor space of about 2700 square feet so it wasn't overly huge but it was incredibly beautiful it was made of limestone and had cedar and it had a gold exterior which made it, I mean, I bet this thing was an incredible sight to see. We've never seen anything like this before. And so, uh, I mean, you think of all the materials that came in. We just read recently about the king up in Lebanon that sent all the cedar, but also this gold that was here, all this gold that overlaid everything. Where'd all that gold come from? It came from the Lord because God gave it all to Solomon because he knew that Solomon would obediently use it for God's glory, like building this temple here. But look at verse 7. This verse has a lot more going on when you dig into it. It says that no loud noise was heard in the temple during construction. This means Solomon had such an incredible reverence to the Lord that he commanded his builders to do their work in reverent silence. You know, if if you've ever been to the Alamo in San Antonio, Texas, that's where they fought for Texas independence. But when you go into the Alamo in San Antonio, Texas, they ask that you don't wear a hat inside, that everybody maintain a reasonable level of silence, all for the sake of reverence, reverence and honor to those that fought and died there. And so Solomon felt that this noisy construction was not appropriate for something as sacred as the Lord's temple because of the temple's purpose. The purpose of the temple would be to house the Ark of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant, and that would be the very dwelling place of God. So imagine you're a construction worker that was building this temple here, and you had to abide by Solomon's orders to not chisel any stone, no hammers, no banging around right there at the temple itself. You had to make all your measurements way out at the quarry. (laughs) You do all your cutting out at the quarry. You finish your stone piece that you're going to bring. You finish that stone at the quarry first. And when you bring it into the temple, it had better fit. It better fit in place. You better measure right at the quarry before you bring it. And no pressure, right? Can you imagine being a worker there? Um, Guys, I think we need to get serious in our work. Maybe we should measure 10 times before we cut anything. Because if they got careless in their work, then their piece would not fit where it was supposed to go, and it would shame the guys whose job it was to make it fit. And so the builders, they had to take the utmost quality and accuracy in their work up front. That was the required discipline with building the temple because it showed reverence to the Lord. Make your measurements very accurately first before you bring it in here. Do your focus, your discipline up front. 1 Kings 6 verse 8. The doorway for the middle story was on the right side of the temple. They went up by stairs to the middle story and from the middle to the third. So he built the temple and finished it. And he paneled the temple with beams and boards of cedar, and he built side chambers against the entire temple, each five cubits high. They were attached to the temple with cedar beams. Now, the first thing that jumps out at me in this passage here, it's easy to miss, is where it says that Solomon paneled the temple. Paneling. Uh, for those of you that grew up in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, your thought of paneling is that thin wood looking stuff with the, the vertical lines going through it. This is very different. At the time, paneling was top notch building material. This reminds me of later in the Israelites' history, after they came back from Babylonian captivity, they had lost sight of their reverence to God, this reverence that Solomon was commanding. No chiseling, no hammering in the temple. They they lost their sight of reverence. They lost the honor with God. And they were using this expensive paneling here on their own homes. Let's jump ahead and look at what happened here in Haggai 1 verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Uh, The Lord was not happy with that, was he? And so this level of reverence that Solomon commanded the Israelites here in 1 Kings 6 would eventually become forgotten by the Israelites later in history. They would start spending God's blessing, the material of the paneling, they would use it not for the Lord God. They spend it on themselves rather than putting it into God's kingdom work like we see Solomon doing in 1 Kings 6. He paneled the temple, but in Haggai, the people paneled their own homes after they got back from captivity. Bad way to go. 1 Kings 6 and 11. Then the word of the Lord came to Solomon saying, Concerning this temple which you are building, if you walk in my statutes, execute my judgments, keep all my commandments, and walk in them, then I will perform my word with you, which I spoke to your father, David, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people, Israel. And so, okay, here we have upon completion of the temple, God reaffirmed to Solomon the same exact promise that he had spoken to King David. Basically, if you obey me, then I will do what I told David it is kind of a conditional prob- uh, promise here. I will do this if you do that, okay, if you follow me i will I will maintain this, and he reaffirmed that promise, but what was that promise? What did he tell David That was back in second Samuel seven verse twelve. The Lord told David, when your days are fulfilled, and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So that was the promise he gave David. And so the Lord, he's reaffirming that promise here to Solomon, the same exact promise he had made to David. But later on, Solomon would start to fall away and start to disobey God. So the Lord said, if you maintain all this, then I'll do all these great stuff. But Solomon, sadly, we're going to see him fall away. And the result of the Solomon sin was going to be that God would remove part of the nation from Solomon's son, Rehoboam. He wouldn't remove it from Solomon for David's sake, but he's going to take it away from Rehoboam. We're going to get into that eventually. But again, this is like the Israelites, when they forgot their identity with God, when they came out of Babylonian captivity, they started using the paneling for themselves, not for the Lord. They abandoned their reverence to the Lord. He was not the priority anymore. And so Israel was going to experience this kingdom promise partially, this promise of having the kingdom, only going to have part of it because the Lord was going to take part of the kingdom away from them. And the reason for this is because of Solomon's sin, which would lead the people into sin behind him. You know, leaders, whatever a leader does, the people are going to follow. And if Solomon sinned, it was going to cause a lot of other people to sin. Now, friends, if you want good relationship and good blessing from God. Obedience comes first. That's that's the equation for getting blessing. You want to be blessed? Everybody seems to want to be blessed these days. Oh, Lord, bless me, bless me, bless me. But they won't obey him. If You want to be blessed by the Lord. Obedience comes first before blessing. You cannot live your life on your own terms and then expect God to bless that. God will not bless sin. So things are looking good for the people right now in chapter 6 here in 1 Kings. Looks good for the temple. They're building it. They're having reverence. But there's some hard times ahead that are coming later down the road. Be attentive. Listen and be careful in your Bible study from here to the upcoming downfall because that serves as a good warning for us that if you want to stay well in relationship with God, you want to bless life, you got to stay obedient. He told him. If you do these good things, if you follow my commands and keep my statutes, then I'll do good things for you. Solomon's going to abandon that, and it's going to be a painful fall to watch. First Kings 6 and 14. So Solomon built the temple and finished it, and he built the inside walls of the temple with cedar boards from the floor of the temple to the ceiling. He panelled the inside with wood, and he covered the floor of the temple with planks of cypress. Then he built the 20 cubit room at the rear of the temple, from floor to ceiling, with cedar boards. He built it inside as the inner sanctuary as the most holy place. And in front of it, the temple sanctuary was 40 cubits long. The inside of the temple was cedar carved with ornamental buds and open flowers. All was cedar. There was no stone to be seen. And he prepared the inner sanctuary inside the temple to set the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord there. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 20 cubits high. He overlaid it with pure gold and overlaid the altar of cedar. So Solomon overlaid the inside of the temple with pure gold. (laughs) That's a lot of gold. He stretched gold chains across the front of the inner sanctuary and overlaid it with gold. The whole temple he overlaid with gold until he had finished all the temple. Also, he overlaid with gold the entire altar that was by the inner sanctuary. Man, look at all this gold. (laughs) Okay. Now, first we saw the construction was made with cedar wood and cypress. But then to consider, as verse 22 says, that the entire interior of all of this was overlaid with gold. Can you imagine how much gold that took, especially when you were given the dimensions already? 90 feet by 30 feet by 40 feet high, 2,700 square feet of floor space, and all of that was covered with gold. Where did all that gold come from? Whose gold was it? I mean, you don't just go, uh, poof, there's gold, right? Gold's hard to get. I want you to think back to chapter three. When Solomon asked for wisdom to be able to rule Israel well, he just wanted wisdom. And that answer pleased the Lord so much that Solomon did not ask for riches. Solomon didn't say, oh, bless me with lots of money and all that. He didn't ask for anything for himself. That the Lord told Solomon in 1 Kings 3.13, he said, I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So whose gold was it that lined the interior of the temple? That gold all came from the Lord. He just gave it all to him. Oh yeah, but Ray, it says he gave Solomon that gold, so that means it's his. That belongs to Solomon. Yes, the Lord did give Solomon that gold because he knew Solomon did not value gold above God at that time. He did not hold gold, he didn't hold money and riches to be more to be bigger than the Lord was. God knew that Solomon was going to utilize all this gold properly, not for Solomon's own glory, but for the glory of the Lord, for the Lord's work, for the Lord's purpose. And so that's why all this gold just showed up, because the Lord God timed the discovery of all this gold to align with the promise that he had made to David. Remember, he told David, and we read that, your son will build a house for my name. So you see, God did not provide all this gold for Solomon. Friends, I want you to get this. You really need to listen to what I'm saying here. It's very important. God did not give this gold to Solomon for Solomon. He didn't give all this gold to Solomon for Solomon to use for himself. God provided all the materials necessary, the cedar, the cypress, the stone, the gold, was for God's glory. It was not for Solomon's own glory. In other words, what I'm saying is, when God blesses people with things, it's not for you. Yes, he'll give you what you need to get by to live on. Okay, that's that's obvious. But it's not just for you to keep and save it up and say, oh, look at how rich I am. Look at the cars I've got and the houses I have and all these all these fancy things. He didn't give it to you for you. He gives it to you so that you will fulfill the promises that God has made through you. You are to use that to invest it back in the kingdom. Prosperity preachers, stop listening to those guys. God does not want to make you rich and have a satisfying, full, big, wonderful, glorious life. That's not for you. It's to glorify the Lord. You are to take those things. Don't panel your own house, so to speak. You're to take the things God blesses you with and use it for God's glory. It's all about God, not us. You, we, guys, we've got to remember. We are the sinner, not God. God is the one who is glorious, not us. I mean, today, if the Lord gives somebody lots of money or they think they give him, uh, they are given lots of money by the Lord, they're like, yeah, let's go buy a new boat. Let's buy a mansion. They use it on themselves. It's not right. Now, I'm not saying it's evil to be rich. I'm just saying even rich people can use it for the Lord's glory. I was in Bible college one time, and a man with a suit walked into the classroom, said, can I sit next to you? I said, sure. He sat next to me for the remainder of the class. Then he talked to me for a minute, and then he walked out. And I asked the professor, who was that guy? He said he was a multimillionaire who invests in this Bible college, and he just wanted to come in and see what was going on in here. The man had a personal interest to what his investment was doing. Were they really preaching and teaching right in the Bible college? And he came in and sat next to me. It was great. So being rich is not wrong, but what are you doing with what God gave you? Solomon was God's promised chosen man. To perform that specific work of building the temple for doing that during this time in Israel's history. And it was all because Solomon had the right heart. He was willing to do the work that God had called him to do. And so when he got all this gold, he put it into the temple. Now, we know that Solomon falls later in history, but for right now, don't let that distract you from how good Solomon is working here in chapter six, because our attitude should match Solomon's example. What the Lord gives you. Is not just for you. You should use it to invest it back into the kingdom of God. That is for him. It is not for you. 1 Kings 6 and 23. Inside the inner sanctuary, he made two cherubim of olive wood, each ten cubits high. One wing of the cherub was five cubits, and the other wing of the cherub was five cubits, ten cubits from the tip of one wing to the tip of the other. And the other cherub was ten cubits. Both cherubim were of the same size and shape. The height of one cherub was ten cubits, and so was the other cherub. Then he set the cherubim inside the inner room, and they stretched out the wings of the cherubim so that the wing of the one touched one wall, and the wing of the other cherub touched the other wall. And their wings touched each other in the middle of the room. Also, he overlaid the cherubim with gold. Okay? Is it as if that wasn't enough gold already? We have an incredible amount of gold going over here. He covered the cherubim with gold too. But what is a cherub? What 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 is cherubim? Cherubim is the plural of cherub and a cherub is an angel. Cherubs are first mentioned in Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned at that tree and they were banished from the garden and the Lord put cherubs, he put angels at the entrance of Eden along with a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life so that they could not come back in. So it's apparent that cherubs were known to be these visible beings that man can actually see.
0: Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time
1: I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life.
0: You'll be so-